How's it, guys? Dylan Lavia, PH Journals. Um, first podcast on the way. We are at the beautiful Mazepa Bay in the Transcar region in the Eastern Cape. Uh, weather's not so great, so we've decided to get the whole podcasting thing on the way. Uh, yeah, just want to give you guys a heads up about my uh, webpage. It will be launching in June. Um, on there, there will be a link uh, where you guys can donate, donate uh, proceeds or... Uh, funds or anything like that towards uh, the rhino horn trade um, lion bone trade and elephants and all of that sort of jazz um, I will be doing the half Ironman in East London uh, Eastern Cape uh, where all proceeds will go to um, the certain charity organizations that donate to these causes um, yeah hunting and conservation has got to m- got me where I am today so uh i thought if not why not got to give back to where it all started and uh, i'm pretty pumped and excited to be doing this for a good and uh, worthy course um yeah so my first guest on my podcast is somebody that's been with me since day one um we've been through thick and thin together uh, we've shared a lot of memories uh we've had a lot of good times in this particular place here in Mazepa. <coughs> Um, and I thought it would just be such a good idea to introduce myself, uh, and to introduce him, uh, get to get, so that people get to know me a little bit better and, uh, just understand everything where we come from and what we do and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, uh, I would just like to welcome my brother, Bradley Love. Binzo, how's it going? How's it, Lucky? Always good, always good. So, first podcast up, yeah, um, just to get us all going, yeah? What is your first memory of us together? Gee. I don't know, it was probably racing days when Dad was racing, I suppose. Is it? And just probably missioning in the cars, going to all the races, playing with our little uh, Hot Wheels cars and yeah. the camper van. For those of you guys that don't know that what we're talking about, it's off-road racing, am I right? That that was, was mm. that sort of time. Yeah, so pretty much like the Baja and that sort of stuff in America, um, we had it, yeah. Uh, it was like a series of round-robin races where... We would go from one province to the next, uh, doing races, and uh, obviously our dad was quite involved in that, um, doing the sand buggies, the sand masters we used to call them. Uh, that was also probably one of my first memories of the whole thing. Uh, we used to get up to a whole bunch of shit, driving around on our little motorbikes and causing havoc in between the farmers, especially in our local town there in Tarkistat. <coughs> um but yeah, those were some good times. Uh, well, I don't... Probably most of our memories from when we were kids, we were fighting. So I can't really remember <laughs> what was the, the first memory, but we were probably fighting somewhere or arguing or complaining to each other. Yeah, That's pretty much. 
standard sibling rivalry and all that sort of jazz. Um, but yeah, we've come we've come a long way there. I uh, started school in Queens, am I right? Yeah. Yeah, so grade one, so at about seven years old. Um, first memory going to school? Well, before that was bridge school. And I just remember playing kissing catches and um, uh, probably my most prominent memory during that time was um, I don't know if you remember those shorts with the netting on the inside that acted as underpants. Yeah, yeah. And on that particular day, I was wearing those shorts without underpants. <laughs> and we had to... The There was a place called the Waterworks with a little plastic boat. And it was the day for the blue class to go play in Waterworks. And I didn't have underpants on and we had to change to our board shorts. So, yeah, that's what probably sticks out the most. And I started crying and had to go into a separate room and borrow the public underpants of the school. And Never a good idea. Never that know was, yeah, that was what stood out probably the most during the younger days, I suppose, or school days. But now you were, <coughs> so obviously you were born in 94. Uh, that was obviously South Africa voted the ANC into power and the whole change of power came along and Mandela was president and all that sort of stuff. So going to school was a lot different back then for you guys. Um, so did obviously you guys never had an effect from junior school. I don't suppose it was, it wasn't, well, you didn't know those things that, that stage and i don't think it was politicized maybe with regards to the teachers or to the parents but it wasn't really with the kids yeah what 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 i'm trying to get at is that you you went to school with a lot of the guys and and you know no one really saw color at those points and stuff like that so but but now it's a whole new different ball game um you you still keep in contact with most of your friends that you went to school. I, n- I understand you changed schools going into senior school, but uh, you guys pretty had quite a tight, quite a tight friendship group. What in junior school? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose obviously we're changing schools. Um, I keep in contact with some mates um, from the Queens side of things. Um, maybe only a handful, um, different grades, that sort of thing. But, um, I guess even my mates from St. Andrews, I only keep in contact with a handful of them. And then you get your varsity mates and then, yeah, now after school, I guess, because from varsity, I was friends with, well, you've become friends with everyone i was yeah. became big mates with seth obviously uh who's your like older than you so that's what happens i guess you just kind of spread your friend group out and get closer mates and that's what sort of happens yeah i, I guess you're right so especially moving back to queenstown you well, how are you mates with any of your junior school mates 
Yeah, you still keep in touch, but it's basically the guys that have moved back into your inner circle type thing. We're in the same back town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you and study that sort of same thing. Same interests and that sort of jazz. But uh, yeah, so no, I understand where you're coming from. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you was obviously the motocross days. Um, those of you guys that don't know, my, bro- my brother did really well at the, this sort of thing. So uh, uh, the younger days, not <laughs> the the reminiscing days, not any time recently, but yeah, yeah. But I mean, th- those were fun, eh? Those those, those were good days. What's your? I, mean, I suppose it's the fondest memories mm. of us, probably as a family, because it was every weekend, every day after school. Um, we even used to train in the mornings just before school. Remember? Yeah. It was sick because I guess that's the memories we have of dad. And also it was at such a young age, like I remember the first national we did. Um, I suppose we have to explain it's going to be hard to convey a story without the whole background situation. So nationals was, um, we just used to race regionals. So just your province and then... We kind of did nationals probably a year into it or two years yeah. into it. And we didn't really know what to expect. And our first run is in Bloom. And you don't really know how good you want to do. Or I guess it was just riding. I think you just rode and, and were the first couple just to see where you came out. And I did pretty well. I think I came Where did, where did you come at first national? I think third, I came yeah. third. Yeah. I was putting things into perspective i was how old was i five yeah i think i was five years old but you know even then they've such well obviously they're going to stick out to me because they're such vivid memories such a massive part um even though i was that young i remember the motocross days probably better than i did of most of my teen years kind of a thing because it was it's such a intense sport and such a vivid thing to remember and the competition so after the first one, it becomes, well, you're quite good at this thing. Um, it's very enjoyable. You get to travel the, the country. And I guess you're with your family most of the time, yeah. which was cool. Um, yeah, Being with you guys, doing set up with dad, practicing, going the week before. Yeah. You know, it, was, it kept you entertained. You met a lot of different people from all over the country, which was sick as well. <coughs> Yeah, I mean, it was, I guess if you had to look back, it was very goal-orientated. It kept you motivated towards something. And at such a young age, it was something so exciting instead of just the norm of just going to school, playing school sports of rugby or whatever it was. Yeah. If it was hockey. But that's that's um, why that's why a lot of guys had to do. way more extreme. It was yeah, just well. sick. That's why a lot of guys had to do homeschooling as well because they, you know, to keep up with the competitive. Yeah, you, you couldn't f- you couldn't have your time switched around. You know, you couldn't focus more on school or, or more on motocross. You had to s- either do one or the other type thing. <clears throat> but I've always wanted to know, looking back and the success you've added on your, on your career as a motocross rider and all that sort of stuff. If you look at the championship now, especially in South Africa, well, with a lot of the guys that you used to race against and even beat, I mean, 
one of the races that still sticks in my mind is you with Caleb Tennant in Cape Town uh, where Caleb fell I think it was on the second lap or something yeah. on the third corner and uh, what he did last year for the motocross sports here in South Africa where he won two championships was it two or three I think so it was the two. lights and yeah, MX1 MX2 yeah. something like that I, I don't know There's the format's both. changed since we left but lining up against those guys then and seeing what they do now, do you miss it? Yeah, I suppose there's being... So we probably gave up motocross just after our dad passed away. So our dad fought cancer for... He was on and off for about six years, I would say, or five years. Maybe five, yeah. And yeah, so our dad passed away when I was 10 and I think till you were 14 15 2005 was yeah. October 5th eh? yeah so I was under 11 yeah yeah so we were quite young and that's when because our dads used to prep our bikes and do everything for us you know we were lucky enough to have auto motorcycles also as a backing as a sponsor um, just from uh, a financial perspective and but our dad used to do everything for us he used to prep our box after work and he used to sit and prep and we used to test and that's how things worked and um so after our dad passed away um the motocross thing well even before then started really kind of withering i suppose and and, and it was financially restraining on, yeah, on a lot of sure. families yeah. well i remember think it was probably more harder on you if i can remember correctly i think you were more of a at a stage where you're mature enough to understand what is really going on like we were going to lose motocross and it wasn't yeah. going to be part of our lives again and you know where i kind of probably was just dealing with everything as it came to me and i didn't really day think by of day it. Top, yeah i didn't yeah. really think of it much when we were younger and then as I get older and, or as I got older, it kind of came back like this was never going to be a part of my life again. And it, and it got, you know, then I moved to a different school and went to hostel and concentrated more on school and school sports and things like that. And um, I guess now it's more like I miss the nostalgia of it and I really wish I could. And because also probably realizing that you have a certain potential in a certain sport and not doing that sport anymore also means that, yeah, you know, you could have been something like... Mm. Especially where the guys you raced against are today. Sure, you know, 100%. Yeah. Caleb, he was probably one of my main competitions on 50 cc's and now he's doing uh, opens and MX lights and yeah. he's winning everything. So, sure, um, I do miss it. Uh and for me to say that I don't think about it is not true because I do, but I guess I know that I can't change it and this is how it is. I would love to be there and line up there, but I guess my life has taken a completely different path to that. Well, it's had to because a lot of things sure. have changed since then. 100%. Yeah. And going back to where um, realizing well where you realized that it wouldn't be a part of our lives again i kind of remember the conversation we had with mom uh 
about continuing when dad passed away and it just it didn't seem fair probably on a family as a whole that if we did continue maybe we could have they i think there were enough sponsors and a bit of backing that we could have continued but i think the decisions made were made and and they're not unfair decisions i guess they're just we didn't really know how to deal or us as a family but we dealt the best we could and well, when something like that happens, I sort of think you like consolidate a little bit. You go back to keeping it as simple as possible until you really cross those bridges. Yeah, but I suppose uh, it. I mean, on mom, it must have been emotionally draining, and for her to come out every weekend and let's say we do continue racing would have been yeah. very stressful. And I mean, it's a dangerous sport, and she's just yeah. seen her husband go and now seeing her kids jumping jumps and having potential of falling yeah. and breaking something Hurting is also quite yeah. a stressful thing but um <clears throat> so yeah I'm, you know when i i do so so just give guys a little bit of back background on your championship side of things your success you had so what was it second in sa nationals yeah, in the pro minis second in nationals yeah net ventures or something like that where it and was 50 cc and then it was air cooled what was that what was pro junior yeah pro junior pro junior came second i think so or we only started you didn't lose a, you didn't lose a race there but i mean we started quite late with yeah it huh? started in durban when yeah amu was announced yeah which is the african motocross yeah, so once a year, basically, um, South Africa, well, all African countries choose the best they have in each class, and they send them off, and then they race. It's it's pretty like the motocross of nations type thing, but for Africa. Yeah. Um, but um, <clears throat> so you raced 50 cc's, moved up to 65s. Obviously, that's what happened when Dad passed away. Yeah. But I'm lining up on the 50 cc gate, and you know you chasing down for championships i know you were young at the time what was going through your mind when you had to line up next to some of your toughest rivals or competitors whatever you want to call it well just having the memories i'll tie everything together but um you know having the memories when um so a couple of my mates also used to ride with me uh, they started a bit later than me, uh, like Tom Fulmer and him. And I remember we were in East London. Yeah. And Dad by then came like sort of a coach to Most of some the of the guys yeah. who were starting out. <clears throat> I remember that. And going through different sections and seeing how their fathers would react to, let's say, a section they didn't jump or, And I just remember from that and people saying like, like dad never shouted at us or no. never expected anything great of us. He didn't. Well, he believed that well, if he shouted, it would put us off. Type sure. Yeah. I, well, I suppose, <laughs> yeah, it was probably the best way to probably handle us. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, yeah, I guess. And by dad not putting any pressure on us. And I guess he just kind of spoke to us and, lining up on the gate i wanted to win and probably was as simple as that i remember the first couple of races were nerves and after that 
when you know you're the fastest on a track or you know you the potential is there to win a race um i expected that of myself i didn't so so, so it was mainly you expected it and then, and then when you lined up that's what was going through your mind i just well, wanted when, to win this when i lost it was a disappointment to myself i mean i remember in durban when you say you lost when you mean like when you came second, well, came third, second. which was brilliant yeah at the time, you know. so once i knew the potential within myself and and we put in the work. I mean, at that age, I guess it's not the same as doing rugby fitness or when I really felt tired and I knew I had put in the work or, or something like that. When I was that age, I was working, but it didn't feel like work. I was riding yeah. because I wanted to ride. Yeah. And I remember going around the Queenstown track and dad timing us and i was getting 58 or whatever the seconds were yeah. every lap i was just trying to do better because it felt good and i wanted to do better timing yeah. and that's that's why i suppose it's so vid vivid in both of our lives it's probably it was one of the greatest times of my life and i was a kid yeah. i was tiny which was awesome and yeah lining up next to everyone else i suppose a lot of the guys had the same feeling as me that they wanted to win but you, you believed you could beat anyone on that start gate? Sure. Uh, on most tracks, I probably did think so. But on some, you knew it. If you didn't feel f the flow of the track, I suppose, or if you weren't taking the right lines or you weren't quite, you didn't quite nail it down in practice. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, obviously the other factors come into play. But if you've got the track nailed, and you know you're the fastest yeah there's nothing you know you're only going to stop yourself if you don't jump the gate or you know something along those lines you know and i guess that's what also gave us drive as youngsters i oh, mean 100%. healthy competition also just you know pushes you forward wants you to do better lining so. up in motocross of nations well amu for the african continent yeah well never been to one before get there i think we're who was that Zimbabwean kid that you guys are racing against uh ashley fixed him that's right yeah uh he won the one b the year before if I'm yeah right, in that same yeah. class that you guys were in pro seniors yeah mm. and then you were one of three it was you bradley fenton brendan fleming yourself in our age group yeah, yeah. So one yeah. of three South Africans only tipped to be, you weren't selected originally, but then Caleb pulled out, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's, you took his place. So that year I broke my collarbone and I think I was out for four weeks as well. Yeah. And they select the South African team during the championship mid-year sometime and it was in durban when this it's wherever you are place. in the point standing eh? yes yeah. so it was top four top three or whatever like that and i think it was fourth or fifth or wherever it was and then didn't get selected and then yeah i think okay we were going to go as a privateer initially anyway yes i, remember I think that, mom yeah. and dad are planning that and then um yeah caleb pulled out and ktm sponsored us a buck and although i think it's majority KTM, of the yeah. south african team and then yeah flew over there didn't quite know what to expect it was in kenya yeah yeah so 
I guess it was between whoever rode in South Africa. That was because I think the rest of the African nations weren't really up there. Uh, Ashley Fixner-Nu did win. Yeah, he was riding in South Africa on an 80 or an 65. 65, that's right, yeah. And rode pro seniors. So, yeah, but I, yeah, I came out swinging, I guess. You just try to do your best. And by that time, he was just that much better than us and faster than us. We couldn't really catch him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just... But you came second. Bradley Fenton on my ass the whole race. And, yeah. Uh, you videoing from the side there, <laughs> shouting for me, which was awesome. So, yeah, like like I say, these things feel like they happened yesterday. Yeah. And I, because they were so intense and, you know, the the accomplishment of doing something so sick and so awesome at such a young age, I guess, just sticks with yeah. you through your life. And, yeah, I think I'll take it with me, yeah, for the rest of my life. I mean, I've got my jacket, my South African jacket, even though I was still a kid and at such a young age, they're up in my office. Yeah, they mean the world to you. Yeah, sure. But, I mean, you, you got second that day. Yeah. <clears throat> Both races, yeah? I think it was two, yeah. yeah. Uh, there might have been three races. I'm not sure. Yeah, but I don't think you came anywhere under second. No. No, I got a whole shot once, but yeah. that's... Yeah. Yeah, but that was, that was really fun. Um, yeah, so <coughs> diving off the motocross scene a little bit, we spoke briefly about Dad and him passing away and stuff. Um, I remember, I think it was 2000, after his last race, it was Barberspan, I remember him calling us into the lounge at home and telling us listen this is what's happened he's got cancer he had cancer the neck and uh what 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 were you feeling what was going through your mind when you i, kn I know you were young what you were 11 you said yeah when he well told you see i don't even remember that yeah well this this I was guess this was 2000 so you actually weren't 11 you were 11 when you passed away so you must have been about five or six. Yeah, I guess mm. traumatic, like I can say, I can remember all the motocross things, but traumatic experiences, I suppose, kind of block out when yeah. you so yeah. push it one side. So you would probably remember the yeah better portion of, I suppose, the harder times, the conversations that I kind of probably blocked out when I was yeah. a youngster. Yeah, I, I sort of remember those sort of stuff and I remember we were... A little confused, you know, we weren't too sure what was going to happen because at the stage, uh, you know, I think dad and mom were unsure whether, I think they were going to cut the tumor out or something like that. He had a tumor mm. in the uh, the vertebra section just below the bottom of his skull. And uh, I remember from about 2000 that they just went for countless radiation therapies in Bloemfontein, I think it was, or Joburg. Because they still stayed with the Obreys in Joburg. Yeah, it was in Joburg. <coughs> so and Germany as well. Yeah, and then and then he he did he did some natural healing in Germany, uh, where they booked him into like a health farm. So it's like a ranch type thing where they um, hang out and uh, give the best medication, but all healthy sort of stuff. And uh, the cancer can't came down if I'm not mistaken. I think it disappeared at one stage. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was 
I think it was what it was five years, and then yeah. at one stage everything was all clear and a hundred percent, and we were back to racing again as a family, and yeah. everything seemed a hundred percent. And then, well, from my perspective of what I remember, everything was hundred percent when he came down here to Mazepa on our coast. And I remember Dad going fishing off face a hut with the four wheeler, and he flipped. And this could me just be me tying things together but he flipped and landed in his neck again yeah and you know i don't know what the time period was from this that fall and it coming back Uh, i can't uh. really remember but you know that's what my remembering of things then all of a sudden dad is fighting cancer again so yeah um yeah i guess it does i didn't like to think of it and well I didn't really think of it until probably dad was in bed at home. Um, you know, I'm, I don't know if I was lucky or not enough or unlucky enough to be at such a young age um, dealing with something like that. I just, yeah, it was just tough, I suppose. Eh? Uh, well, it's tough for any boys to lose their father i mean dad was such a strong figure in mine in your relationship. don't you wish now like being in the businesses and things like that you're like i just want to ask him yeah oh, 100%. i just want to so ask him about so something i just want to say something things that i would i just wish i you know even even if we had him on whatsapp or something you know like just just get an answer him, from know? him kind yeah, of yeah thing. that's yeah, all, like, like, all or you really opinion want. Or, or whatever you know yeah but um, yeah. I mean, cause every now and then you you sort of get that flashback moment where you just think, yes, you know, like what would have he done? What would have he said? Or um, am I doing things right? Or mm. like know? when you're in a pickle, you yeah. Wanna <coughs> ask him something, yeah. I suppose. So um. Yeah, then Dad obviously lost his battle with cancer in 2005, 5th of October, like I said. Um, I was 15, you were 11. I was in high school, you were in the junior school side. Same schools, yeah. just different sections. Uh, I took up rugby, obviously that's... Well, you had that big knee injury. Yes, that's from right. From riding. Yeah, the last the last year of our motocross, we, yeah. I went into the first corner... I can't really remember what happened and the one guy fell in front of me and T-boned him type thing and went yeah. over the bars. Had to have reconstruction on the knee, but we didn't really know what was wrong there. What did you until ACL, you told your ACL. Yeah, until about six operations into things because it kept coming out of place. But yeah, so then uh, I took up rugby. That was pretty cool. But it never really filled the gap of the motocross era, you know. Well, I mean, when, when they say once it's in your blood, it really is. I mean, you don't. You it's enjoy high it. adrenaline. That's yeah, what it is. Well, it's you enjoy you enjoy your sport and you enjoy um, the challenging thing of it all and all. That, but it's it's ne- it never it, nothing has really ever filled that gap of yeah. the motocross stuff. Um, which is not the end of the world. I mean, we've. We kind of just have to deal with it. Pretty much. You just got to move on. I suppose, but looking, we're not the only people who did that. Lots of people quit uh, due to, I 
I suppose, a multitude of regions. People, I mean, it's quite a financially taxing sport. A lot of people let go just because they can't afford it. Putting well, that, kids that's the whole school. thing. The logistic of the sport changed as well. I yeah, mean, 100%. It became more demanding. I mean, if, if you were a privateer now, you will be eaten alive when it came to the factory rides. Yeah, well, you would still be trying to probably juggle work. <laughs> yeah. Um, a family maybe and still trying to ride where people have, have got three different bikes in the back of their uh, sprinter or yeah. their factory ride with financial backing from anywhere i mean you know so back then it wasn't like that with us though yeah i suppose maybe in the senior classes but not quite as hectic no. now like factory Husqvarna's in cape T- cape tm yamaha everyone's got a factory back ride who's winning anything at the moment yeah, yeah. <coughs> but um yeah so then i went to senior school started playing rugby when i was 15 years old uh because Steve Dell was my first rugby coach. Um, and he was the guy that pretty much pulled me through everything. Well, I, before I, you, you didn't even play A-team until you got to under 15s and he put you in the side, didn't he? Yeah, I, I didn't really play rugby. I, I, I had one run you on. You played like 14 C's Le- or Lester something was like still, Lester Funskoy was still my coach. <coughs> um, it was under 14 C's. And uh, I remember two nights before our rugby match, we were playing rugby at Tom Filmer's house and I ran uh, down the yeah, wall sure. there and my knee came out of place yeah, so I, I, had to have, I had to go back to East London for a scope and that's where I guess the real reconstruction happened on the knee um, but then I then I started playing in under 15s and I, I wasn't really sure about the game and stuff but Uncle Steve Dull just had tremendous faith in me and he grew you know th- that's one thing especially when I coached I guess that's one thing I'll, I'll never forget is there's, there's just people in your life that just have these incredible effects on you, like Uncle Steve, you know, mm. to to know that there's somebody out there that had faith in you to do something tremendous with the sport that you've never played in your life before. You know, it's it's incredible. It's, yeah. it's, it's something special, you know. So I've always got a lot of time for Uncle Steve. I don't think even from... Uh, from a sports perspective, I guess it's just those people who stick out towards yeah. you. Yeah. Like I think everyone has those people in their yeah. lives, whether it was a teacher or a mentor. I remember when Dad was passing away, Mr. Huntsman, one of my teachers from school. Yes, I, I was in his class, and I th- he was my cricket coach, but he was my s- school teacher as well. And just you know, going. I guess it's kind of awkward in a situation. You don't know what to say to this yeah. kid or you don't know. But he did. You know, he, he came to our house afterwards and came and, like, consolidated me, I suppose, and, you know, asked me how I was and, you know, went the extra mile with me. And, yeah, throughout your life, you probably have those mentors or people who just, you know, you, you connect with better than any other yeah. teacher that there is. And... Yeah, I guess that kind of sticks out to you, you know, like mm-hmm. Uncle Steve was with you. He gave you that chance. Yeah. Where no other teacher could yeah. would have or, you know, even thought about it and it would propose you to be playing first team. So Yeah, yeah well, I put my whole sporting career back on track again, um, especially after the injuries. That, I mean, I was out for a whole year. So that, that, that really got me going again. 
and I was really, you know, I was, I was happy with how things worked out. Um, but yeah, so was going into 2008 was our 150th year at Queen's College. For me, it was one of the best years in my schooling career. Not not rugby-wise, but just from a whole vibe type of thing. Um, and then, of course, you being there. Um, so Your order boy. <laughs> um, well, being in the same senior school at the same time is kind of Yeah, it was something yeah. very special. I mean, being your senior at a school, you know, being able to look after you and all that sort of jazz. But, uh, yeah, so after 2008, I matriculated, went through to Natal, uh, started playing rugby there. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But you went to St. Andrews. Yeah. Uh, how was the transition from Queens to Centre? Obviously, two similar schools, all boys schools. Yeah. All got a lot of tradition, a lot of heritage, and that sort of stuff. But uh, it must have been different because you're three hours away from home now. You're in boarding school and had to make new friends. Well, I remember when I got to grade eight, and um, yeah, you were in matric and. Um, I know I heard a few whispers of some of my mates going or leaving the school going to St Andrews or whether it wasn't St Andrews or other schools and at the time it was the beginning of the year and I didn't really think of anything I guess you were just in your motions doing school and then you and mom came up to me and spoke to me and said didn't you guys didn't don't have you ever thought about moving schools? And I was like, no, never thought about it. You know, I'm happy, a hundred percent. And then Greg was leaving, and so yeah, we've been mates, Greg King. We've been mates since we were in grade one together. And yeah, Greg's sister was at DSG, the sister school of St Andrews at the time. Well, they still are. You know, she had been there since grade one. So Greg's initial move was to leave anyway by the time he got to senior school and then i heard tom was leaving and a couple other of my mates and i kind of started as well struggling um because i was overweight at the time and i didn't realize how much well i did realize my weight was affecting me during the whole time and being what emotionally or physically emotionally it was affecting me probably both you know I, the whole my whole junior school career I played a team sports and after that I passed away I picked up a bit of weight obviously due to stress you know stress or a bit of emotion imbalance and how you deal with things I suppose you eat and um, so I guess my it was just coming to a standstill and also being a very small town i guess you kind of with being the family we are and i guess everyone kind of knows you but by that happening you also just everyone has a predetermined or a preconceived idea of who you are mm. before they know you before they meet you and i guess it got a bit tiring for me they all knew you and everyone was like, oh, you're Dylan's brother. And kind of had an idea in their head before they even knew me. Yeah. So and I didn't know that was a bit of how it affected me. And it kind of did 
So living in the shadows and stuff then? Yeah. I wouldn't say like living in the shadows because that's like... Well, maybe it is. I'm not sure. You know, I had it... Everyone just had an idea of me before because of my family or because of you or because of the small town environment. And I guess it's kind of scary moving schools. Uh, I was scared at the beginning and nervous and things like that, but Greg was with me and that was fine 100% there were five new guys in the same hostel uh, in my age group so it was fine I mean we kind of all got along with each other um, it was grade 9 you moved there yeah so you were 15 yeah well, two, gonna turn 15 yeah we're under 15 in a sports perspective and yeah I guess when it kind of got like it was quite Difficult in the beginning with all the mates being together during grade eight and because they all make friends getting in grade nine. But how schools work and with regards to sports and stuff like that. So I guess (laughs) rugby helped me make a lot of mates. And as well, I quit cricket. I wasn't the greatest cricketer. I was a bit of a net batsman. So when I got there for 50 overs, yeah. (laughs) Nets batsman, one ball and you're out. Then I must feel the whole day. Yeah. Wasn't so fresh. So I played water polo. I lost like 15, 16 kilos. Yeah, I and I was that. healthy and yeah. fit. And I obviously knew gym from you. Because yeah. we used to gym together when I was still a lot. He did yeah. body weight, things like that. So I started gymming and I got healthy. And um, the whole boarding school was awesome. I enjoyed it. The independence of... I guess learning everything by yourself and uh, not being around mom and stuff like the whole time made me, I guess, mature as a person. And, you know, no one knew me. Yeah. Which was awesome. I digged it because I could make a name for myself. It's like a blank canvas you just had to create. 100%. I could start over. Not to say that... I had been degrading my canvas previously. It was just that people just had that idea of me. And now no one knew me. And, you know, for someone to know me, they had to listen to me. No one else. No, for sure. For sure. But, um, so obviously matric, I mean, going going through your whole high school, you did pretty well in everything. I mean, you were prefected in matric, played first team rugby and all of that sort of stuff. So, you handled it pretty well. I enjoyed it. I don't regret a thing. Moving um, from an educational perspective, it helped me tenfold. My marks, my academics went up. Um, yeah, school sports. It was. I mean, our first year when I got there with rugby, we only won one game. Um, so that was terrible, but it was fun. I enjoyed playing there. We got better, obviously, as the years went on. Um, but the hostile environment, everything was awesome. Uh, I adapted pretty well. Obviously, there were some hard days, but that's if you I would have had hard days at home. Yeah. And, yeah, hostile environment school. You with mates 24-7. So, yeah, I can't complain, eh? So, um, why, why did they, why, why did they give you the nickname Cooks? Yes. <laughs> well, coming from Eastern Cape, 
we we just we just got a different tone you know some of us talk slowly yeah we so all the joburg oaks and cape town oaks are there and they thought i spoke very lacquer so they called me cooks <laughs> for Vernon Kukumuri. He used to be on ads when you were younger. Uh, quite a big, bulky Afrikaans guy. Um, full of muscle. and He didn't have the greatest vocabulary. Yeah. Um, cool. So leaving school, what made you decide to go to England and do a gap year when you were doing so well at like school sports and stuff? Why didn't you pursue you know rugby or why why did you decide to go and do a gap year i knew i didn't want to pursue any sport it didn't like i played rugby and i enjoyed my rugby i knew i wasn't going to make a career out of anything like that i did england because a lot of our mates did england our family friends so seth lee uh very close family friends of ours who yeah, we stayed with them when my dad did uh, treatment in Germany. We stayed with the poets, which is uh, Seth, Lee, and Jay, and Uncle Cole, for yeah months at a time. And yeah, they became like our extended family almost. So yeah, we just what we used to go brother every Monday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they spoke a lot about England, and you know it seems like a good idea to see the world. Uh, no qualifications, nothing. You get paid. You, you know, you didn't. Especially as a youngster, you know. Yeah, you, coming you out of school, so, it sounds yeah. like a great idea. So, I know a lot of folks went to Aussie, Darren, or a couple of your mates yeah. went to England. Yeah. And yeah, kind of. I didn't know. I didn't know what to study. I suppose lots of people don't. Some people might, but I didn't know what to study leaving school. Well, it's all, it's all, it's sort <laughs> of like a. I, th- I think that's why they call it a gap year. It sort of gives you a bit of time to uh, just think about what you want to do. Yeah, just you know, Why just didn't you do a gap year? What made you go into the whole rugby situation? Um, coming from a small town, rugby, you know, like playing first team and stuff like that was a pretty big deal, you know, especially in Queenstown. Um, so, you know, you knew if you made it that far in rugby, you had to be good at at it you know um i don't like looking back now i know i wasn't great i might but have you're a pretty been, good scrummer yeah you, you know um, there were certain aspects you know that, that you don't f- often find good loose heads well, so it's quite a specialized position y- yeah but you know then then it, it allowed the game allowed for you to be good in one aspect of the game you know uh, i mean I, I remember growing up watching guys like uh, Osterant and that sort of stuff you know they had one game where they were pretty good in the lo- loose uh, play but other than that they were just good scrummers you know and, th- and that's yeah. what I grew up understanding especially being a front row forward and stuff yeah. <coughs> and then so yeah obviously that I knew I, I had something in me that maybe I could have propelled my career f- a little bit further in life um, especially after seeing your success in motocross and stuff and i didn't quite have the same success i sort of wanted to achieve a little bit more than what i did in school um so yeah i i guess that's why i didn't take the i was accepted i remember and then i had to turn well, it you down you did get a contractor yeah yeah well i but i had to turn it down because i 
I decided to go to a rugby academy in Natal. Yeah. Um, but I mean, even well, you that got scouted for the rugby. That's yeah. what I think. Yeah, at one of the Easter festivals was quite a big determining factor for you. Well, you, you you think of it at the time, but if I look back now, there were I probably if 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 I could, I probably would have gone and did a gap year, just knowing that I probably would have enjoyed rugby over there more than what I did here. Uh, South Africa is that's also if you get the time to play it over there what school you placed at yeah, what yeah, your yeah, working yeah. hours are you see I didn't know any of that sort of stuff so but uh, you know I, you know I, I really I, I enjoy my rugby playing days and I'm I'm bummed it's over but uh, in the same time I'm glad it ended when it did you know I'm glad I haven't gone any further with it um, but I was England for you yeah, I just good, I suppose. Um, yeah, nervous when I got there. Uh, we obviously had a Facebook group of like the Gappies, the the Stooges, who were coming over from uh, South Africa and Australia. Yeah, and obviously, I think back a lot of the times, and during the time, I enjoyed myself thoroughly. Um, looking back, I did some really silly things as well that you regret, but I guess you learn and grow as a person while that's happening. A lot of the times when you're drunk, you do stupid shit and I did do stupid shit, but, um, yeah, <laughs> it is a good way, I guess, of seeing the world, meeting new people, different cultures, the are alternatives to the whole school route as well that I could have maybe looked at. What, doing something like different, like not going to... Going to Stooge at a school, yeah. yes. Yeah. Like, I enjoyed it and I enjoyed the kids and things, but I don't think I was quite cut out for it at that age. I wanted probably more free time and less work just to but go do things. But is anyone really cut out of it? Cut out for probably it not. Probably not. I don't know. Um, yeah, I... I just wish, man, we had... I wish I got a Schengen visa to begin with to travel more of Europe because you're having a South African passport. It's very limited. So, I mean, when I wanted to do Kentucky tour with my cousin, the first time I tried to go do my visa or my Schengen visa, I got turned down, didn't have the right paperwork or my funds weren't in a certain bank account. And then I had to pay a company like half my month's salary to just um, sort out all my paperwork for me. It took another three weeks. Uh, and all you needed it for was like Sweden or something like that, right? I can't remember. No, it was... It was like two countries. Or no, something. it was... I think the problem might have been Switzerland because they're not part of the European Union. Yeah. So I think that was the only place, I th but it all went through eventually in the end, going through a travel agent. I should have just gone through that in the beginning. And yeah, but I wish, I, like a lot of my friends, like during some holidays, like some holidays I would just spend um, in England, you know, doing the most I could or going out with some mates or going up to wherever. But, you know, other Gappies went to Spain for a holiday, you know, because they could. She had a Schengen visa, Hannah. 
And, you know, the Aussies could go wherever they wanted. The only yeah. place we could go was Ireland, probably. So, yeah, I regret getting a Schengen visa for the year. It was an option. I didn't really read the paperwork. But other than that, I, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. it was uh, would, you, would you recommend it to, to any of the... Oh, 100%. Visit? I, like I say, I did some silly things, but that's part of growing up. And... Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed yeah, it. I mean, I couldn't have gone too fast to your eyes. I'm going to sit you at home or do what in South Africa. You're in a different fucking country. No one cares what you did over there. Yeah, well, almost getting kicked out and stuff like that. It's not <laughs> the freshest <laughs> way of telling your mom you're coming home. So. Yeah, no, that's true. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Would I recommend it 100% to everyone? And I suppose most people could. I mean, most people will recommend it. Um, yeah, no, it is awesome. I mean, I, I didn't know what to study. And I'm sure most people don't. And they end up studying a degree that they w don't really want to study in. And so, mm. yeah. Well, let's let's fast forward a couple of years. You did the studying thing and obviously it wasn't something you enjoyed. And I don't know if that was the right time of your life or... Or dark or bad time but anyway anyway you came back to queenstown if i told you 10 oh. years not even no let's not say 10 let's say five years ago right that you would be coming back and you would be living in queenstown and working for mom's company what would you have said to me i'd have told you to fuck off man. <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> even when I was in England I say that I didn't know what to study after school I didn't really know what to study I had to apply for varsity when I was in England and I had none of my books with me everything was back home and I had to apply to varsities and I did design at school which was pretty sick uh, I probably enjoyed that the most and I what, what, that what's art. design? So, during design, we would essentially probably break it up into three divisions of design. So, it was product design. What was it? It was product design. Uh, I think it was interior design or... No, it was fashion, product, and architecture, sort of. So, that's what we kind of did. And we could build sick buildings, I guess. And, you know, play with tools and we weren't looking at a book all day or during that lesson so i did that in art so i was like and seth studied architecture so i was like oh cool let me throw my head in and apply for architecture and i got in and to be honest with you it was a shitload of work from the first year and i kind of also hustled my way through it like I skipped a lot of class, drawed a lot, had fun, and it eventually probably caught up with me in my third year um, when all the strikes happened and things like that, fees must fall movement. So we weren't going to class, and I wasn't doing my work at home. We were going out partying, drinking, and then we didn't have any class in my third year from... I think the second semester or third semester. That was because of the striking yeah. and stuff. Yeah, right? and we had to continue as normal by ourselves. And we had like uh, crit just, sessions. Just tell the people a little bit about the fees must fall side of things. So what, 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 what kicked that off? 
the fees must fall was people fighting genuinely for because the fees were going to increase the following year. And so students started striking because they didn't want the fees to increase. And then it kicked up a whole lot of sub-movements or sub-categories of the whole movement saying that fees must fall altogether, studies must be free. Um, I kind of was for it. You know, we quite lucky that we in quite a nice, comfortable financial situation. I, I can imagine for some families, it's very hard to send their kids to varsity. So... I think it was an increase of 7% or something. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, it was, it was quite ridiculous. Yeah, it was. I remember it being so steeper. But that was even when I was in my second year. The third, it carried on for a couple of years. And, but yeah, saying that you want free varsity and things like that, it's a very socialist movement and it, it got out of hand and it became very politicized with yeah, well, well look, other I, I, I think political I th movements coming in and things like that. But so. I, I think the whole thing about it, and, and this is what I, a lot of these things in South Africa, I, I get to, I think of a good cause and stuff, but you, you know, I don't think we've been very realistic about the situation. I mean, let's face facts. The way South African economy is now, there's no ways we can even look at free education or something like oh, that. Yes, it would be possible no, in in certain sections or sectors or whatever like that. But and and, and th that that is my only problem with stu with stuff like this is that we we're not we're not realistic about it. I support it. Well, not everyone has the outcry is coming from the uneducated it's without people having a parameter of of really how much things cost and we are fortunately or unfortunately in a capitalistic society that's what's happening and people screaming for free education uh yeah when what's the unemployment rates at the moment it's yeah, almost it's really 40% or, or yeah, I'm not crazy. quite sure the figure whether it's 21% or 40% it's uh, one of the highest in the world at the moment yeah so I think it's 27 if I'm not mistaken yeah, I'm not quite sure yeah. so I guess we kind of have to be realistic about things but we're not yeah so I, I agree but anyway just moving on uh, you so then that yeah, disrupted so your okay. whole last year so yeah I wasn't really working and I got into a bit of a like a nervous wreck, I suppose I was in, and I didn't really know what to do, and I didn't really think that I was gonna do architecture because you have to do your three years, get your degree. But it's fucking tough, eh? I mean, just the work, the working, workload is ridiculous. Yeah, well, I was working. I mean, yeah, well, first and second year, I was in class from eight until five most days just working and in our third year we got a bit of freedom and came in for crit sessions like that so our my times would be from i would work from about five at night to about three in the morning wake up at about nine go to some classes in the morning try fitting gym and at the beginning sure i was doing everything quite well and and then yeah i suppose it got a bit much for me but during that year, that course of the year, was thinking, 
you know, am I going to continue this? Will I do my master's? Yeah. And every time I thought about that, I wasn't going to do my master's. I was going to finish that year, get my degree and probably go travel or look at something else to study, something along those lines. It wasn't my intention to probably continue with it. And yeah, not succeeding that year and like not really working and prioritizing my time. And the thought of doing another year afterwards and not going to pursue it as a career, I said, well, I'd rather come back and work in a business for a year, maybe save some money, uh, go through a, a thought process again of what I actually want to do. And yeah, like you said, I would have never wanted to go back to Queenstown. And when I did get back there, I, you know, I, I didn't want to be there. But, um, you know, it's kind of growing on me and being with you guys. I guess looking at a business, business is a awesome thing that I guess you only experience firsthand. It's when you're actually working and it's fun. So, yeah, I've been there now three, three and a half years and I guess we've grown the business a bit. Um, we're working together, which I didn't think we could probably ever do. Most people probably didn't think we could, but yeah, yeah, we are. But, um, so now being involved in the business the business is that 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 my brother's talking about is the tire fitment centers so for the guys in america and other places uh, we've got two franchises the one's called haku and the other one's called bear stripe um they're a lot like if you're looking in the american market they're a lot like your um your discount tires that sort of stuff um and then in the european market i think they have got best drives over there it's actually I know European we saw high cues over there. Yeah. Well, I, I think is a European model as well, well. I suppose it's more of like a continental factory, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, they're as well. affiliated with Continental and Goodyear, so some of the big tire brands. But like I mentioned, um they yeah, they're tire footment centers. We've branched out a little bit, we're doing a lot of four by four accessories and suspensions and stuff like that. So yeah, so that's what my brother's talking about. But anyway, getting back to it, um, what now being involved in the businesses okay how much sacrifice have you realized mom and dad did or, or moms and dads worldwide do for their kids when you know when the old cliche says i work this hard for you kids or stuff like that you only can really put it into perspective once you you're there yourself sure not 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 having a child but well you the one who has a child so <laughs> but putting she'll realize or you'll be saying to her that stuff pretty yeah. soon i suppose yeah working from seven to five every day or seven breakdowns 24 hours so we have to wake up at night and go open up the shop and things like that yeah, we don't have much free time. Uh, it's a big sacrifice, I suppose. I mean, at the moment, it, it's, for me, it's okay, I suppose. But, but, but looking, look, looking back at, like, 
like especially dad um with the limited amount of space time he had with us you know uh you sort of but like we at the time we were we didn't we didn't cherish as i'm not saying we didn't we we didn't enough cherish enough of the time we spent with him you know sure. as, especially as a young boy growing well you're up. trying to say him working so hard the w- what we could afford and yeah. the things we had and the luxuries in our life sure 100% what, what I'm saying is is that we should have cherished the time we had with him more than what we did and uh, we didn't yeah. know what was happening at the time because sure. we were young um, but especially now working you know you, you, you realize how valuable time is especially when you have to you know um try and manage it as best as possible so you can spend with your time you know like spend it with your girlfriend or your wife and kids or whatever the case may be so i think i think when i move back when did i move back i moved back 2012 um no yeah you move back later no 2012 it was okay because uh yeah that's 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 when i was finishing school that's right yeah. yeah so um you, you know like like now i just i realize a lot more and i i just i i just wish you know that that i understood what i understand now then you know especially as a young but I, don't, I don't think you would as a kid though it's just like one of those things yeah, it's, like one it's, of those it's unfortunate but it it you know it is what it is but i mean if it, if 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 a little kid was listening to this podcast or, or a teenager or whatever and listening to this, you know, and and you had one thing to say to him about spending time with your family and uh, how limited time is and how much you got to cherish it, what, like, like what would you say to him? Like what would your advice be for for him, especially knowing what we went through with dad being sick sure. and limited time? And I would. Well, it also depends on the parents. I would say to parents, when you get home, spend um, quality time with your kids so they do remember it. So, like, I would compare it to how we were young. I think we did cherish the moments because they were uh, extraordinary moments with that. We, I mean, after school, getting into the sprinter, quickly going to the track and doing a couple of laps was bonding time and we bonded in all the spare time dad had essentially would be bonding which i guess then we did cherish it uh obviously yeah i would appreciate it more so um yeah i would just say make them memorable times you come home at five o'clock make them memorable times do do what you can to spend the most time with your family as much as possible, I suppose, after working hours. Um, yeah, like even coming down here for holidays and dad would go fishing on the rocks, taking him a beer or taking him coffee in the morning that he spent the whole night Just out fishing. Just giving him company. Yeah. It's, yeah, I guess... I suppose also realizing that he did have cancer also made it that we did try appreciate the yeah. times better. Yeah. So, yeah, I would just say 
appreciate your parents. They work hard for you. They work hard for the family. Shit, I've never been so, like, stressed and nervous about things. Like, renovating the buildings and making key decisions, I suppose, mm -hmm. is very nerve-wracking. And whether they're going to pay off or not gives you a bit of anxiety gives you a bit of nerves you know i guess it's exciting at the same time as it is stressful so yeah trying to be an adult isn't easy mm. so but i get i you see that's, that's the cool thing i love about phing is that when like you get these father and son or e even when they have the mothers come along and you know like family groups and stuff it's so special to me because you get to spend that time with their family and and see like the small things that they appreciate and that's why i've always made an extra effort especially when you get groups like that you know just show them stupid shit like a a dung beetle pushing a pile of shit around yeah. or you know um you know like a jackal buzzard flying in the air or something like that just the smaller things because you know just what should actually matter is that you're sharing these moments with with somebody that's not going to be there forever yeah they're not going to be there all the time you need them there, you know and that's and that, and, that, and that is why i love hunting so much you know especially phing taking out these groups and um making people understand that you know these moments it's not it's not about the kill shot it's not about that it's about the smaller things that lead up to those bigger moments that that actually matter and, th and that's why it's so special to me and i mean that's why i love it so much and yeah, I, I guess that's where that's where my passion and drive for that sort of thing is, you know, because you can't. It's not every day people you get to say to people, okay, no, well today I'm going out to spend time with people that want to cherish moments with other people, you know. It's every every guy you chat to, they know I'm going to a nine to five job or eight to five job yeah. and i'm just going there to you know provide bread on the table and and you also stuff. responsible for someone else's experience exactly yeah yeah and the experience in in this beautiful country of ours is all up to me yeah it's a lot of responsibility but it's something you know if you love doing it's you know it's special but yeah just just a little background so i left school 2008 um i went to the rugby academy in natal things didn't really work out there i had issues with lower back injury and then i moved to port elizabeth tried to study i was never an academic at school never ever i hated learning <laughs> i really didn't dig it um but yeah then i left that um and then our dearest uncle uncle greg he gave me the opportunity to my professional hunting license um which I, I appreciate to this day and he was with me when i shot my first animal with dad that was you know every time i get into the bush and i take somebody out hunting i relive that moment every single time of uncle greg giving my dad the binoculars and me taking like 30 seconds to try and pull off a shot because i was shaking like a dithering idiot that's like your 
motocross. Yeah. Or what yeah. my memories were, that's your memories of yeah. the hunting, I suppose. It's it's just crazy. It's just, you know, I remember everything. I remember every twig I stepped over. Um, I remember every tree we sat under before we pulled the shot. So that sort of stuff, you know, I, I, so yeah, just getting back to it, uh, I less, then I became a PH and started working part-time for my mom, but PHing on the side, and then it became more PHing than working, and now I'm back to working and a little bit of PHing, and yeah, that's where the PH journals comes from, and it's just my passion for hunting and just what the environment holds for us, and because... I don't think we, as humans, are, other than Sir David Attenborough or whatever, that really experience, you know, the, the true value of our, our wildlife. But, yeah, those are my moments, and that's, that's what I cherish the most. Eh? Um, but you went hunting. You've been hunting a few times. Yeah, I suppose... You go hunting every year. Well, at the moment, yeah. It's, we don't really do a, the walk and stalk thing. Um, it's, yeah, I suppose we get off and we go sit in our camps and wait for some animals. It's Like a driven hunt. Huh? Yeah, uh, sort of, I would say. Um, I'm not the biggest hunter. I don't, it's not like, you are, I don't get goosebumps obviously when I pull the shot off and yeah then it's a different thing but I would rather go do something Talk I enjoy the experience the fire, with yeah. friends there rather than sharing stories um, at the end going, of the day. I'll go hunting with you or go hunting with our cousins and things yeah. like that I enjoy being with the people out there in the bush and things like that that's what I enjoy I do think it's also a better source of getting your meat more sustainable um, as well yeah well yeah. idealistically i would rather get my meat from hunting or from you or from someone that has hunted um i think yeah it will hunting contributes to conservation and things like that i think it's a better source of getting your meat than probably the farms and uh the whole beef situation at the moment so if i could if I could afford it and it was a constant supply of meat, I would probably do it every year uh, just to get the meat and probably have the experience with the buggers out at the farms. Yeah, more of the campfire stories and having yeah. a few Enjoying the sociable part of it. Um, yeah, I enjoy that. But you obviously enjoy the whole walk and stalk and being with your dog and yeah. you know the whole... I don't know the story of the hunt. I suppose yeah, that's what you getting enjoy. involved. It's yeah, you know, in the different species you hunt, and uh, I mean, South Africa is a special place when it yeah. comes to hunting. So, you know, we're very lucky. Um, but it's something I wouldn't want to trade for anything. You know, it's, yeah. it's 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 made me who I am today, and it's made me feel a little bit of a purpose, <coughs> especially. Um, now with having a little daughter and stuff like that, you know, you, those those moments I want to keep sharing with people that mean a lot to me, and and uh, 
yeah that's that's what they do um so now working enjoying well, don't it don't you want to speak a bit of about the conservation side of things and because you want to start this whole i suppose to make people aware of everything that's yeah, going uh, on my so why i decided to do the iron man was that uh, Roundtable East London Now Roundtable is a non-profitable organization that um, does charity work in the local communities in areas and specific areas and stuff like that it's a men's organization yeah. um, which I'm affiliated to in Queenstown but uh, so it was East London number one the first roundtable in South Africa I think they were okay. established in the 1950s or something like that I can't really remember but they uh this year they did the iron man in east london half iron man in east london a couple of them did it um for a little boy that went to selborne i think he had both his legs amputated stuff anyway they called it steps for ubuko uh which i thought was a great thing it was brilliant and they raised a whole bunch of funds for his um to get like prosthetic limbs okay. and stuff like that so treatment and yeah things like it, that. it was pretty cool it yeah. and uh the little guy was on the side of the road they're cheering them on and stuff so it was that, that that's sort of what inspired me to do what i wanted is to that do. well that's what's round table about it's a charity yeah. organization yeah. you guys yeah to raise help funds where you and can give back to the community yeah. yeah um so that's what i wanted to do but i obviously not through round table um but I wanted to do the Iron Man and try and raise as much funds as possible just to get the awareness out there because of our rhino population, uh, especially with the lion bone trade. Um, and well, elephants. I'm sure not even a lot of people know about the whole lion bone trade. I'm not really aware of it. I know about the rhino horns and the elephant tusks yeah. and things like that, the ivory. Uh, but what's the story with the rhino bone trade? Lion. So basically what happens is that it's similar to or the lion horn sorry. thing, but yeah. it's legal. Um, so lions are getting slaughtered now for their bones. Um, I, I'm not quite sure how they use it. I know they grind it down into well, some, like also for medicinal, well, yeah. medicinal purposes okay. and stuff like that. So basically, I d the more awareness I feel that we can get out about these things, for instance, the rhino horn is something I'm, I'm so passionate about is that we, we've got to get these people to understand that legalizing rhino horn is going to sort the problem out. Because year in and year out, we've got guys that are cutting rhino horns and they're storing them away in vaults or burning them or doing something ridiculous like that um, or to prevent these rhino horns from hitting the black market. Where I believe... Because the rhino horn grows its horn back, or rhino grows its horn back. Sure. I think it's every five years. Um, so for me, it just only makes sense to flood the market, get the demand down, and. It also prevents the killing of exactly. the rhino. While yeah. So so make it legal. Let's trade with rhino horn. Let 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 let. Because they essentially probably not going to stop. No. Well, so le but let let these guys that want it so badly pay taxes on it and and do that sort of stuff you know because uh, but you know this uh, this is the thing about our country i still believe that there's somebody at the top of this whole thing fucking sitting there just chilling because he knows that if he legalizes run on trade 
the demand's going to come down. And if the demand comes down, the price comes down. So he's not going to get a bigger cut out of this whole thing. So, yeah. so to me, it's, yeah, I don't know. But that's pretty much what but I But it's also a legislation. There's, it's hard for things to be legalized, I suppose, going through everything. Yeah, there's different channels and I don't know. But there's um, also different viewpoints. Not everyone will agree with you. Uh, that's the thing yeah so i understand um but you know hopefully by raising these sort of funds and and having these uh, sort of discussions you know at at platforms where it actually matters like conservation meetings and that sort of stuff especially you'll be hoping to get people in the podcast that can speak about things okay you know like like Especially at like the SCR shows in in Vegas. Well, I think it was in Reno this well, year. Well, you were there. Are there any conservation? Well, of course, yeah. No, every every evening they're having meetings and there's shows going on and stuff. But you know, and and there are oh, there's some fantastic guys out there that are doing such great work, especially on the ground. Like Alan Carter, he, he he's a guy that I've been looking up to for a long time. I follow him and uh, I thoroughly enjoy his his Instagram and. And the work he does, you know. Um, but there are, so there are guys that are trying to inf- influence this whole thing. But they, they're they not really, uh, well, nothing's really happening as quickly. So I just want to do my little part, um, you know, as, as much as I can to give back to what's given me so much joy and stuff. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's, in a nutshell, that's basically what I want to do. Um and try and keep back to con- give back to conservation as much as possible and uh, yeah but uh we've still got a long way to go oh, the training's killing me i haven't swam yet uh, so the iron man consists of the half iron man i think it's a it's a 1.6 kilometer swim which is one mile swim uh then it's 79 kilometer cycle. You've been cycling quite a bit. Yeah, I've been recently. cycling quite a bit, which, which I'm not You just went from East London to Queenstown recently. Yeah. And then um, it's a 21k run. The running's going to kill me, especially with after knees. having all my knee operations and stuff. But yeah. Um, Beans are like going forward now. Any plans for the future? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Or yeah, I don't know. Um, recently, with obviously doing the renovations, we've just done some renovations to a shop. Um, what did you guys do there? Added a few more lifts. Yeah, so just increasing the capacity and working capacity of our shop, I suppose, has helped us a bit. We've seen it. Um, from a business perspective, I guess we, you know, we see it in the profits, we've seen it in the turnover and, you know, it's helped us, but it's a scary thing for us youngsters to kind of do something like that. And, you know, I guess we both kind of happy that it's paid off. Um, the business has been going for 30 years, so to try something new is always going to be scary. Yeah. So yeah, that's. I guess kind of just step by step kind of move forward I've been thinking of wanting to maybe study again probably through UNISA I don't know um, 
probably along the lines of something where we would want to go if this whole podcasting works out you know i'll have it my own channel and then maybe working on the journalism side of things i is that I what just want to fact gather and gather as much information yeah. as possible, I suppose. Um, I'm, I don't really like the political side of things, like, but it does interest me in having different conversations about what's happening but right now in our whole situation. You, yeah. Sure, you, yeah. with, I thought I could stay away from it by not watching news and carte blanche and things like that. It just, you know, puts me on edge for the day or so. But that's just my own personal view on things. But when load shedding starts happening and we have to fire up a generator just to keep the lights on and keep operating as a business, you know, when it's on your doorstep, we can't shy away from it and, you know, let everyone else deal with it. You know, we have to kind of also probably so do is our it, little is, part. As a young South African, as a, a young South African guy or male yeah. in South Africa, with all the political thing that's going on, I mean, it's crazy. Some of the stuff you can't really make up. And sure. I mean, it's, it's like a Hollywood movie. Do you think there's enough opportunity for you guys now than there was maybe 10, 15 years ago? Well... I think on in terms of technology, sure, maybe there is. Um, I think it's it's harder to find something new at the moment because of technology and everyone's doing it, information's everywhere. You think that's where the money lies? Sure, in the future, I think within the next 10 to 15 years, um, technology is going to be way more advanced of what it is now already. I mean, think about it when we were lighties. We didn't have Google Maps. How did you navigate around town? We've got a GPS on our phone at the moment. We can FaceTime people across the world. We didn't have that. We were, When we were kids, we didn't even have color phones. So, I mean, technology is advancing at such a rate. I'm not sure where we would be. It would be nice to get involved. I mean, but I can't code for shit. Um, I think a lot of money would be involved in coding and things like that. And not to say that I'm chasing money, but uh, I would like to be financially free. I suppose if I wanted to do something, I can do it. And yeah, the only way that's going to work is if you work hard and earn the money, I suppose. So what you're saying is we've, we've actually got more opportunities now than ever. We just, we just need to know how to use them and... Well, and within what the getting in the financial state of the country, maybe there's not. I'm not sure, but I think because for me, for me, it almost seems like, especially now, it it seems like back then, the harder you worked, the more money you made, type thing. Because because it was physically, you had to go out there and sell a, a toilet brush, or yeah. you had to go. We can do it where, smarter now. Is well, what yeah, yeah, pretty much. Where now you just click. A button, you know, Facebook ads does everything for you. I mean, it fucking sends out ads to whoever you want yeah. to use specific target markets. And I just think... Do you think it's easier now? I do, I do. I, and, and especially in South Africa, you know, this, but this is... But the economy 
being so unstable but the problem is with the economy being so um like unstable and stuff it it also creates opportunities for for where people haven't gotten to yet like i mean you know i've been very fortunate with these shows and and with the awesome uncle we've got and stuff i've i've traveled to the states america and i've seen these sort of things go by and i I just to see the amount of um strides they've taken forward to get to where they are now and south africa hasn't even got there yet for us to bring to incorporate those now will give us so much more opportunity at a later stage so <clears throat> sure but isn't that just the trend as well but so that's just like it'll be in the states or it'll be in all the first world country and it kind of has a trickle down effect towards the developing yeah countries. but that's what i'm saying so if you can pick up on those things that are outdated in america now and bring them to south africa well, not outdated, the trending situations, probably. The thing is, is that I, I just feel that, and and that's what happened, that's what's happened in a lot of industries in South Africa, is where South Africa is a few steps behind. They almost think that if they skip a few steps and go straight to where the big guys are, that it will have the same sort of effect. Well, I, d- I don't think, I, d- I think you've got to do the smallest steps in between to meet up with them i don't think you can skip those important middle steps which i think a lot of the guys have done and they've it's backfired because of our failing economy but if you do step by step day by day type thing you you will you know you can sort of get to their level um but as as a young south african i do i see a lot of opportunity I think it's a lot easier now but in saying it's a lot easier you've got to box a lot smarter and i think that's where a lot of us fall short is with the educational system being a little bit beyond and all that sort of stuff it it, it really puts a bit of a damper on your progression in life and or progression in south africa but um yeah it's home it's a beautiful place um there's so much we have to offer and see and it's, it's oh really yeah up the zipper bay on the wild coast and it's stunning and it's then transcar yeah i've what i haven't been here since december and you just missed the sea air you missed the smell uh we less than a k from the beach we're about 200 meters up and it's awesome yeah. you wake so up you smell the sea air and it's just beautiful, yeah. So you almost forget about technology as well. Yeah, hundred percent. It's just you just want to engage in so much, you know, like chat and and a bit of banter and stuff. Yeah. You know, it's it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah. So going forward, you reckon you're gonna stick around in the businesses a, a little while longer before you make any big decisions, or you yet to stay? Sure, for the time being I'm yeah I guess I guess I'm working on myself I'm working on us as a family we're working I mean things aren't plain sailing between us I mean we disagree on a lot of things I suppose and 
yeah, I guess I'm trying to work on that. I'm trying to work on us as a family. Um, we haven't always been the closest. I guess we've kind of close now than we ever were. I suppose we fought quite a lot as us. Of like we fought quite a lot as kids. Well, working with me and working with mom, what what has been some of the challenges? And I think just being three people and we're trying to run everything synchronized is kind of the challenging part of having three different com- in a family business yeah well mom has been there for probably over 30 years you've been there for about seven years and this is my third year so we're all in different stages and i guess we can all contribute different things but we all have a different we have different perspectives on a lot of challenges that come up so i think the main thing is realizing all of our strong suits and working towards those instead of combating everyone's answer or everyone's decision on everything Uh, because it is stressful i suppose i mean this is our livelihood this is you know the challenging part of running a business the fun part the stressful part all in as one and you know, we're looking also to grow uh, with three families instead of one. Um, you've just had a daughter. Um, you know, we also want to invest. I want to in invest in property in the near future or, you know, get a certain different, uh, a, a different type of income as well, you know, um, just for us to grow and you know as people as as smart businessmen uh, i think we need to yeah learn a lot of things so i think it's a good time in my life to be where i am right now like i said i would like to study as well and i think i can manage all those things at once i think it'll be a good challenge for me and i what think you, what, what you're looking to study well like i said with you doing the podcast and things like that also looking to do my own maybe like i said just fact gathering and information gathering and in what i what i'm interested in i suppose so yeah whether it's in journalism or something along those lines where there's a business degree or something why don't you become a comedian no i don't think so fuck this guy if he's got a few <laughs> that's only when I'm drunk though. a few drinks in him he becomes the funniest person and the laugh of the party and it's it's absolutely hilarious and the, and just everyone digs us like but um yeah so going forward now what would you like to see coming from our sort of podcast what, what, what do you think are sort of the things that I need to iron out especially as a professional hunter and stuff so just a little bit of well, advice going forward like because i suppose who i kind of started watching joe rogan and i started telling you about joe rogan joe yeah. rogan has people on who interest him yeah it's not like he's trying to convey a situation of from his audience's side i mean you watched you and joe watched uh that doctor that came on and yeah, did listen, the whole medieval yeah. medicines or procedures and that interests you you know so i guess from looking at your conservation side and things like that getting 
some professionals in would you know i would watch it it's interesting to me um yeah i guess it's just interesting things uh trending things what's happening at in the world at the moment that sort of thing and also some obscure um fact telling i suppose Binzo, we're going to end off now but if if i had to ask you for say one little bit of advice you can give to a youngster coming through the same sort of upbringing you did what sort of advice would it be with looking back on you know where, where you've come and what you've done in your life so far i would say we kind of hit home i think also as well joe rogan was saying there's beauty in i'm not sure the words he really said beauty in hardship if i i'm not gonna quote him directly though but um yeah i suppose it's when you go through through traumatic events or hardships in your life i guess coming and looking out on the other side and appreciating that if you didn't have the hardships you wouldn't appreciate the good things that happen in life yeah so with dad passing away dropping out of varsity that sort of thing kind of also where we were at the beginning of the podcast made me appreciate the past events made me appreciate of where i am now i didn't yeah. want to be in queenstown now but i am and in the moments you're gonna it's spend. benefiting yeah. me now so yeah i would say that pizza well, i mean we can spend all night sitting here and talking about all the past experiences we've had and memories and stuff but thank you for doing this sure thanks uh, for having me Dota. first one in the books oh, dealer on the recording i'm pretty stoked i'm happy and uh yeah. i think i've got a few episodes coming up that are going to be exciting with a lot of guys that i'm going to be hunting with in the next few months hunting season opens now the 28th so i'm looking forward to that oh, good luck with that i'll manage the business it's okay sure but uh yeah guys um anyway that's it from us um i would love to hear how you guys or what you guys thought of this first episode um i'll be posting a few things on instagram and stuff so let me know give me some suggestions and um yeah appreciate the time have a good night everybody cheers <laughs>